The title, Facing Opposition. I suppose some of you have experienced some opposition, but I doubt that any of us have faced what we will face in the future. So this is a good lesson to help us understand what we're facing and how to face it. Also, I believe that many times a mistake is made when we look at this kind of material and we look at it only from the historical uh, viewpoint. And that, of course, has some value. But I believe that it's of more value when we connect it with what we need right now and what we need for the future. So that's the way I want to handle this. And the first question I would ask is, do you know of any text that would connect this with the Seventh-day Adventist Church? Anybody? Well, let's turn to uh, Isaiah 58, verse 12. And maybe someone can read that. Isaiah 58, verse 12. Isaiah 58, verse 12. And they that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places. Thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations, and thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in. Who's this talking about? It's talking about the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Because if you read on, it's talking about the Sabbath. If thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath. And so it was the Adventist church that God used to bring back a knowledge of the Sabbath. Now, the, there were the Seventh-day Baptists before us, but uh, they were a small group. And they didn't really uh, take it to all the world. And so he called the Adventist church to do this. Now, in verse 12 that was read, what are the phrases that would connect it with the Adventist church? The story in our lesson today. What, what were they trying to do in the lesson? Okay. They, they were trying to build the sanctuary back up and they were trying to build the, the wall around the city back. And notice in that text, the Seventh-day Adventists have been given the same responsibility. Now there are two groups, especially that got involved in this. The first one was through Ezra and uh, they had some success, but they didn't really complete the success of rebuilding. And so God used Nehemiah. And between the two, 
they accomplished it. Now here's a quote from Prophets and Kings 6, 77 and 8. The prophet here describes a people, this is talking about uh, verse 12 in Isaiah 58. The prophet here describes a people who in a time of general departure from truth and righteousness. Can we see that we're living in a time like that? General departure from uh, truth and righteousness are seeking to restore the principles that are the foundation of the kingdom of God. So our wall is not a physical wall. Oh, I need to use a different... No, just finish. I just have a comment. Oh, you have a comment. Okay, go ahead. Well, in my mind, wall... And Ellen White talks about that. The wall is the law. And the, he talks about in the, I don't remember where it is. And then he put a tower in the vineyard that was the temple. And the, re, building up the wall, it is getting the law back, you know, in honor. Honor the law of God. That is building the law, wall. Amen. Yeah, very important. So this goes on to say um, that we are seeking to restore the principles that are the foundation of the kingdom of God, which is the law. They are repairers of a breach that has been made in God's law. The wall that he has placed around his chosen ones for their protection. See, that's they were in danger because the wall was not built. And so we are in danger when we do not obey the law. And obedience to those whose precepts of justice, truth, and purity is to be their perpetual safeguard. So the sanctuary has been broken down. You know, the, the focus now is on the heavenly sanctuary. But on earth, the focus is on our sanctuary because we are to be a sanctuary for God's presence. So the sanctuary has been damaged, broken down, and the law that surrounds God's people has been broken down. And God has called us to restore that. So as we look at this story, we have to keep that in mind. Um, I didn't bring my prophets and kings with me today, but on page 644, someone has it on their cell phone, maybe you can find that. It connects and makes it clear, yes, there is an application of this story for today. Prophets and Kings 644, paragraph 3. Anyone have that on your cell phone? Well, maybe I'll go on, and if you get that, we'll, we'll stop and read it. So let's look at uh, some of the aspects of our lesson today. Let's turn first to Ezra 4, verses 1 through 5. 
Ezra 4, that's Monday's lesson, 4, verses 1 to 5. It says, now, excuse me, now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity builded the temple unto the Lord God of Israel, then they came to Zerubbabel and to the chief of the fathers and said unto them, Let us build with you. For we seek your God as ye do, and we do sacrifice unto him since the days of Ezrahaddon, king of Asher, Asher, which brought us up hither. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the chief of the fathers of Israel said unto them, Ye have nothing to do with us to build an house unto our God. Now, why did they reject this offer of help? Wouldn't it help it build faster? Okay, we got a comment up here. Anyone find the prophets and kings? Uh, yes. Okay. We'll take the comment first and then we'll read that. Yeah, they uh, were in the beginning, and when we uh, read the first verse, it says they were the adversaries. They were their adversaries, and uh, they were not sincere in their, their, um, their reasoning for helping to build, rebuild the temple. So you think they wanted to help in order to hinder? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yes, read the quote now. This is the one that applies the story to today. It says, The opposition and discouragement that the builders in Nehemiah's day met from open enemies and pretended friends is typical of the experience that those today will have who work for God. Christians are tried not only by the anger, contempt, and cruelty of enemies, but by the indolence, inconsistency, lukewarmness, and treachery of avowed friends and helpers. Derision and reproach are hurled at them, and the same enemy that leads to contempt at a favorable opportunity uses more cruel and violent measures. Okay, so now let's connect this. Um, what kind of hindrance will we get in the same way that they got it? In other words, people coming, wanting to help us. Now, this church wants to restore truth and uh, have only truth preached here. But do you think anybody will want to join you that will have a different purpose? to, you know, tear it down? Can I comment? Yes? Yes, we see very clear example of it in our schools. We, in our schools, we accept the stately support and they, they say, fine, we will support you, but you have to do as we say if we support you. All right. And, that, and the, that was the adversaries. They wanted to get a foot in 
and the, you know, the devil through them wanted to come in and pollute the true worship of God in the rebuilding of the temple. And they, then if they were part of building the temple, they could say, well, I want, we want a place for our gods in, the, in your temple as well, like we are having in our schools and in our church when we invite people from, that don't believe the same as we to speak in our churches and the, things like that. Yes, that's right. You know, there's a key text, I believe. It says, can two walk together except they be agreed? Now, as far as who attends a church service, I don't think we should worry about who attends. But when it comes to the leadership of a church or an organization, we have to be aware of this. Because if we get united with people that don't agree, then it's going to at least cause compromise. And, it, and if it doesn't do compromise, it'll divert the whole you know, thing in the wrong direction. So we have to be careful because people come, they offer money, they see what you're doing, and they want to give money to help it succeed. But often when people give money, then we give them a vote. You know, we think, well, we need to, we need to uh, listen to them because they've made such a big donation to help the cause. That's one danger. Another danger is that they will want to do things. And let me give a couple of them that are very current. Suppose they want to have worldly music in the church service or in the Sabbath school. Is that a danger today? Amen. Absolutely. Suppose they want to uh, do plays instead of having a sermon to you know, put together a play and have actors and act out the play. Um, is that something you would accept here? Well, maybe you haven't studied that one. I'll have to study that with you. But um, God has forbidden that type of activity. And if you look at the life of Jesus, you know, they did plays back then. This is not a new thing. Now, the TV, uh, the Internet, that's new. But the acting out of stories is not new. It existed in the time of Jesus. Did he ever do one of those? Did he get his disciples together and say, now, we're going to act out the work of Nehemiah here and show you what it was like? No, he never did that. That should be a warning right there, that if Jesus didn't do it, then we shouldn't do it. Well, I'm just picking two of the, I think, the areas where Adventist churches today are allowing people to guide them to do things that's not building the wall. It, it's actually destroying the wall. Yes.
I saw something that was very disturbing um, this week in regards to that. Um, to, well, actually, two things, and I'll try to keep it very brief. Um, not the disturbing. The, the, the one thing that came to my mind is the text that says that the children of the world do better than the children of light. I mm. saw a, a, a video clip. It was a pastor up speaking. Patterson is his last name. I think he's popular in the East somewhere. And someone stood up in the congregation to say something, and immediately the elders and deacons stood up and came down toward the person that was speaking. We don't do that here. We let people just say, and do we open the door, welcome everything, everybody. It's like you're saying, into the pulpit. We let them do it. But I saw that. I was like, okay, okay, I, I can agree with his method. They don't allow everything, but we might. Mm. And, and that leads into my second point. The very disturbing thing is um, sometimes when a new pastor is taking over a, uh, a new church, They'll have an announcement up, whether it's a flyer or something on Facebook or whatever. And this was an Adventist church, young man taking a pastor. He's holding hands with his wife, walking. She's decked head to toe, earrings, necklace, bracelet. And I had to take a second walk to see if this was an Adventist church mm -hmm. that he was going to be pastoring, and it was. Yes. Well, that's another area that has really... You know, I think once the approval was given for wedding rings, once that happened, it opened the door to everything else. Because people thought, well, if it's okay to wear that, it's okay to wear this, and then it's okay to wear that. And so now it's, it's running wild, actually, in the Adventist church. So we've taken a position at our church that um, if it's a husband and wife, and, the, and the, either one is a member of the Adventist church, but the other one is not, that we will, we will not dictate what they have to do. But if they're both Adventists, then we ask them not to wear the wedding ring, because that way it doesn't get started, and that can protect, yes. Um, Pastor Ratwood, why don't you go into the history of how the church even began to allow wedding bands, because it happened over in, I think it was Africa or someplace, where there were some, some rules and regulations that were put in place by the government, and they said that if you are married, you have to wear a wedding band. Uh -huh. Do you remember that? I didn't know it was that strong, but uh, there is, there is a uh, provision in the spirit of prophecy that if in a country it is obligatory, then uh, the person is left with God. In other words, the church is not to say you can or you can't do that. But in, of course, the United States, that's not the case. And so we don't have to uh, worry about that. But that's a good point. All right, reading a little more here in uh, Ezra 4. They said, ye have nothing to do with us to build an house unto our God, but we ourselves together will build unto the Lord God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, hath commanded us. Then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, 
even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Now, what does that show about their real intentions? Does that show anything? When you get denied something and you get mad about it, what does that show about your Christian experience? It's not what it should be, right? I mean, if they really wanted to help, they at least would not hinder, right? Even though they were denied, they would maybe give some money, maybe they would pray or whatever, but we see why God denied them. Now, we can't read the spiritual experience of people fully. We can't. But we can tell a lot by what kind of positions they take. And so we've been warned, don't put people quickly into positions of authority. We need to know where they stand first before we do that. And if they get upset because of that, it shows they're not ready for that leadership. But uh, I believe your church will face this, maybe you already have, being able to keep on track with the goal that you have set here. And you have to be careful you put in, in uh, uh, on building the wall that you're trying to build here. Um, in uh, Second Kings, and we won't read it all, but in verses 24 to 41, it kind of gives a, a rundown on why uh, these people should not have been used to help build the wall. If you read that, can you share uh, in your own words what was the real problem here? Does anyone, anyone know from, uh, from Second Kings? Yes. <clears throat> well, I think what you're alluding to is that uh, once the Assyrians took the ten tribes away, that the Assyrians brought in these other people groups to populate the area. And they had a Jewish uh, priest that came in to teach them about God, but still their religion that they had was not true. It was a mixture of idolatry and uh, a knowledge of God. So uh, these weren't good Christians, so to speak. All right. So it was a watered-down faith. Now they, you know, it is true. They did worship the true God. But they also worshipped heathen gods. And so they were not safe to bring in and to help build this wall. And as someone said, before long, they're going to be saying, can we put our gods in your sanctuary? Because they had confidence in the heathen gods as well. So we need to be careful. You know, I have felt that part of the reason for a place like Wildwood because the message that is given in so many parts of the world is so watered down that our job is to make people real Adventists, you know, full Adventists, not half Adventists. And I, I think from what I've heard of your purpose here, that's your desire as well. And it, it requires a lot of teaching, a lot of explanation of why and showing why, what God said about it. 
And, you know, those who don't want that, if we're teaching it, will say, well, I don't really want to go to that church. <laughs> you know, they're, they're saying things I don't agree with. But that will keep sifting also so that you stay able to build the wall. Okay, let's go on to uh, uh, Ezra chapter 5 and verses 1 to 5. It says, Then the prophets Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Idu prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel even unto them. Now if you read the passage in Haggai, what did Haggai say was the problem? Yes. They had neglected to build the house of God. They were building their own houses and planting their own fields. But they were putting their own interest ahead of uh, God's interest. All right. Now, let's, let's dig into this one a little bit. What is this saying for us today? Do we have that problem? Do we face that problem? And if so, how do we face it? Pardon? Well, yes. That's always we need to have a thus saith the Lord for what we do. Any other thoughts? Yes. Right, right down here. I think we have to set our priorities right. Like to know what's the, what, what is of priority first before other things follow. So we tend to have our own interest first before we have God's interest. God's interest. Okay, priorities. They had the wrong priority, didn't they? And uh, today, now, of course, I realize here you're worshiping in somebody else's church. But if we are satisfied to have a nicer house than the sanctuary that we worship God in. Do we have a problem? Are, are we following like they did? Yes. Well, in some cases, people do have money and they are building themselves nice big houses and they some of those people, they don't pay their tithe and they maybe put a dollar in the collection offering. So uh, I think that's, we can see that in, uh, not in maybe, in some p cases at least. Yes, I, I believe that we have this problem among us. Of course, I don't know anything about your home, whether you, anyone here has the problem, but you know, you're wanting to build a church, and so God is calling us to make that a priority rather than our own comfort in our own home being the priority. And if we do that, we will be successful in being able to build a church for God. Also, 
we have the work of God. And, you know, so many are so busy earning a living that they cannot give any time for soul winning or to tell others about Jesus because they're so occupied with making a living. It, it's almost become okay to do that and just to give money, but no time for the advancement of God's cause. This is the same problem that existed back then, just a, maybe a slightly different form of it. And so if we really believe that we're to finish this wall, we have to become less interested in our home, less interested in things for ourselves, and more interested in building the wall. And if we do that, we'll finish the gospel. Now, I'm going to talk to you about the Day of Atonement in the church service, but uh, I am positive it didn't have to take 175 years to get this wall rebuilt. It didn't. And it's still a long way from being rebuilt. So the message that Haggai brought to them was, is a very current message. Going on, it says in verse 2, Then rose up Zerubbabel, the son of Shaliath, Shaliath, and Jeshua, the son of Josedach, and began to build the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. And with them were the prophets of God helping them. At the same time came to them Tatnai, governor on this side of the river, and Shather Bozni and their companions, and said thus unto them, Who hath commanded you to build this house and to make up this wall? So now they get questioned, what right do you have to build this wall? Is that a lesson for us? And if so, how? What, what are we going to face? There's at least two things that we have to face just like this. Well, we have to obey the law of the land, but sometimes people say, you know, what you, your practice doesn't fit with what we want people to do. So uh, that is kind of the law of God up against the law of the land. So we have to be know where to stand firm. That's right. So the, one of the areas particularly is on the Sabbath, right? And uh, people question our right to push the Sabbath, to say that this needs to be kept. And of course, it's easy to prove it from the Old Testament but they are in a frame of mind that you can't use the Old Testament to establish the Sabbath. And so then it creates, you know, a difficult situation. We get questioned all the time on this matter. Yes. Another thing is also about educating our children. 
now things are getting more difficult for people that want to homeschool their children because the law of the land says they, they have to be educated according to certain rules and regulations and the uh, curriculums. Yeah, that's, that's a battle we fight as well. Now there's another one that I think is even uh, becoming a harder battle in our church, and that is the issue of victory over sin. And so, you know, the idea that is growing by leaps and bounds is that we will never have the victory over all sin. And uh, if you can't have victory over all sin, you'll never get the wall built. That's right. So if you accept that idea, and, and we're bombarded with that idea from all angles. And in some places, if you preach victory over sin, you get in trouble with leaders even for preaching that. And so, uh, you know, this, this, these stories are very current in helping us to realize what we're up against. We're going to be questioned and so on. But fortunately, in this particular situation, they did have a decree by the king that they could build. And so uh, uh, things worked out at least temporarily. Okay, but then it finally got so bad that they uh, had to stop. And on Tuesday's lesson, it says work stoppage. And what were, were some of the things that they did to get the work stopped? Okay. I forget which king in particular, maybe it was Darius or Artaxerxes. I think it was Artaxerxes. They, Artaxerxes, uh, yeah. yeah. Sent a letter saying, you know, they're up to no good. And he was convinced and uh, he sent some troops apparently and with force, they made him stop. All right. And uh, our sister had a comment. I think also, um, if not in that same letter and one that was sent, it said that these people are rebellious. They rebelled against their own God, and they're going to take the money and not do what they say with it, and so on and so forth. Yes. Now, that one especially is something that we need to think about. Um, was it true that they had been a rebellious people? It really was. You know, if you look at the history of the past, when they were in charge of themselves, they were rebellious against the leadership because they knew they were supposed to be independent, but when they disobeyed, God didn't let them be independent, and they were taken over by other nations. So they had a record of being rebellious. Is there any... Uh, application to us. <laughs> Have we been rebellious? You know, if somebody knew about our whole life, would they be able to point out why we shouldn't be allowed to do this? <coughs> some, uh, some sins are looked upon as worse than others, and some are respectable sins, but we've all 
sinned enough that if somebody started looking at our past record, they would say, they don't deserve to build the wall. But fortunately, through the blood of Jesus and turning away from our sins, we can be not worthy, but through him we're worthy to build the wall. So we will no doubt, you know, especially in the last conflict, they're going to dig up all of your past, everything that they can possibly find and try to discredit you as, as an instrument in God's hands to build a wall. But, you know, all we can say is, I'm forgiven. Amen. <laughs> and I don't do it anymore. I have turned away from that by God's grace. And it's all how you finish the race. It's not what you've done in between. It's almost like a timeline. Yes. But it's all in how you finish the race when that time comes. Yes. Now, here was a, a question in my mind. I think I have the answer, but I'm interested in yours. When we compare what happened under Nehemiah with what happened under Ezra and Zerubbabel, under Nehemiah, the work didn't stop. But here, it stopped due to what the king said. Should, here's my question, should they have gone ahead anyway and built it in spite of what the king said? I found this uh, question curious myself when uh, I was going over the lesson uh, because they had been told in the past they were, I mean, Jeremiah preached over and over again to the different kings that they needed to succumb to the oversight of the king of Babylon because, you know, God was going to use them as his instrument to uh, punish them and to bring them into line. Here it doesn't seem like that was would, was the purpose of Artaxerxes and putting a stop to the building. But, I mean, how are they going to resist the King Artaxerxes when he said stop? <laughs> so I, I don't have an answer for you. I just uh, was curious at that assertion that they could have or should have kept building. I, 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 was, uh, I would have been on the Jews' side. I would have said, well, they, they told us to stop. We got to stop. Yes. Well, of course, according to Bible prophecy in Daniel, uh, it, it wasn't to be finished before it got finished. In other words, it got finished right on time. But it still doesn't excuse the people who backed off. If you had been one of these leaders, what would you have done or would you like to have done when your enemies talk to you or talk to the king, and they get this letter that tells you you can't build anymore. Well, they, the people of Judah and Israel, they had a good example that they, most of them must have known about. The three Israelite youth in the service for Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon king, when he demanded that everybody should worship the statue they stood straight and denied, you know, refused to uh, worship, as well as when uh, 
the, the guys want to get Daniel. And they, they get, did get him thrown into a lion's den, but um, he didn't perish. So it's a lack of faith, I think. Okay. Well, here's what I would have liked to have done. I can't guarantee you I would have done it because when you don't face something, you, you, know, you might not do the right thing. But the first thing I would have liked to have done is sent a small group of people to King Artaxerxes and explain to him that this was a false report and try to get it reversed. Now, I would base that on a quotation that says, uh, I think it's Ministry of Healing, but it's one of the LOI books, that we are not to flaunt the law, but we are to seek to have matters adjusted. Now, if we can't get it adjusted, then we do what God tells us to do and bear the consequences. But our first step is to try to get it adjusted. So they should have sent a group to talk to the king and explain the fallacy of this. If they were unsuccessful in that, then they should have said, God has instructed us to build this wall or this temple, and we're going ahead with it and trust God to take care of the consequences. That's what Nehemiah did, right? Of course, he didn't have the king's forbidding. Uh, fortunately, he didn't have that. He had the backing of the king. But he did face an army, and he didn't allow the army to stop him from uh, building the wall. Okay, Roy? This is a question that my wife and I discussed last night. And um, I went to Monday's lesson uh, where it's talking about, let me see. We just read Ezra 5, 1 through 5, and then the next part of it says that the Jews had stopped building because they were afraid, but God had sent them to Judah to rebuild the temple and the city, and he had a plan. Since they were afraid, he had to do something in order to encourage them. Therefore, he called two prophets to step in, Human opposition doesn't stop God, even if the Jews contributed to this opposition by their own actions. God did not abandon them. So if you go to Haggai 1, which is the next thing that we're reading about, it talks about that um, there was a plan that, that God used and basically said, you know what, guys? He said, and, and you read this before as well, you know, you build your houses, you have, you know, roofs on your houses, you do all this stuff, you... Um, you sow much, you bring a little, you eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you're not filled with, with drink. You clothe you, but you're not warm. And it keeps on going, and it says, and then he says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, in verse 7. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house. I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glor glorified, saith the Lord. And then verse 9 says, And you looked for much, and lo, it came to little, and when you brought it home, it did blow upon you. Why? Saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house it that is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house. Therefore, the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, 
and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of the lands. Then Zerubbabel, in verse 12, the son of Shetil, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of the Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God has sent him, and the people did fear before the Lord. And then it says they pretty much started building. Yeah. So it's almost like they were given a choice to make. You do this, or else this is going to happen to you. Yes. And they feared God enough to go ahead and follow what he asked in the first place. Yes. Okay. Now let's, again, what time do we stop with this? At 11? What? 11 o'clock. Okay. Let's spend uh, some time now on Nehemiah. And uh, this is an incredible story, really. And what application would you, or what, how do you think that what happened in Nehemiah's time fits into last day events? Anyone uh, make a connection with that? How long did it take Nehemiah to get the wall built? 52 days. That wasn't very long when you really think about it, was it? 52 days. Now, is there some event in the last days that's going to make things go really fast? Well, that's what I was going to say. Is Ellen Gewett says the final events will be rapid ones. Yes. And why? <laughs> Well, things. Well, I don't remember exactly the answer to that, but I mean, it is. It also says that it's going to be building the wall in troublous time. Yes. And uh, we, like we have been talking about, we face trouble if we want to uphold the law of God. That's right. Yes. Okay. My wife says the latter rain. That's what's going to speed things up. And uh, there's the work to do to get ready to receive the latter rain. But when the latter rain falls, one phrase is, it goes like fire in the stubble. You know what? How fast the fire goes across the field when it's in stubble and there's a good wind. I mean, it just goes. So that, I believe, is a forecast of the finishing of the wall under the power of the latter rain. And uh, let's look for a few moments at some of the opposition that he got. What, what was the first step of opposition? It's in uh, Wednesday's lesson. What, what was the first one they faced? Ridicule, yes. You know, their enemies, <laughs> their enemies had been used to them not succeeding, right? And I think many uh, of our enemies are looking at Adventists and they're saying, well, you say you're going to take the gospel to the world, but you know, we're not worried about you accomplishing that because you're, you're just too far behind in it. 
So they started out with ridicule. Now, ridicule isn't easy to bear, you know, when, when it's uh, directed against you. And so it, it was hard to bear, but Nehemiah didn't pay any attention to that. So then what did they decide to do? Yes. Well, it sounded like they were going to sneak in amongst them and <laughs> one night slit all their throats and kill them all at once, unaware of that they were there, okay. if I'm reading that right. So now we got more serious opposition, don't we? And uh, what we might call a threatened war. They, they were going to stop them by force from building the wall. So then what did Nehemiah do? Did he say, uh, oh, no, they got more people than we do. Uh, we better not uh, try to build a wall now. They prayed. Okay, yeah, before actually he uh, got the leaders behind him, he, he looked around at the wall, so he knew accurately the condition of the wall. That was a valuable step on his part. But now when the war was threatened, what did he do? He armed them. Now, can you imagine trying to build a wall when so much energy has to be put into defending yourself? Would you be tempted to say, that's too much work. We can't do both. It's too much work. Now, here, I believe, is a lesson for us. Because we have failed to build a wall in better times, we are going to have to have a really hard time to build a wall. And we're going to be tempted to say, it's too much work. It's too hard, Lord. We can't do all that. But... It's going to be built. That's the good news about Nehemiah. It's going to be built. There's going to be people that say, I don't care if I even have to sell my house and live in a, in a shack, but we're going to get this work done. Amen. We're going to finish it. <clears throat> and that was the spirit that led the finishing of building of the wall. Yes. What I found was significant that everyone had a sword by his side. And what is this our sword? The word of God. Amen. It, we, we have, we, there's no way we are going to win the war without the war, sword. Amen. Yeah, that means we need to really know our Bible, right? Amen. So that when the questions come or the opposition comes, we show them from the word. Yes. All right, let's go to Thursday's lesson. And I wrote in a text here that wasn't in the lesson. Someone read Matthew 8, 21 and 22. This text came to mind as I looked at this lesson. 
Matthew 8, verses 21 and 22. Okay. Matthew 8, uh, verses 21 through 22? Yes. Okay. And another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said unto him, follow me, and let the dead bury their dead. Some people would consider that a hard saying. You mean I can't go? and attend the funeral of my father? But you see, Jesus was calling disciples here, and what the only kind of disciple he could accept was one that wanted to be with him so much that they would not attend the funeral of their father. And you know, what can you do for your father once he's dead? We need to do for our fathers and our mothers and so on before they die. Once they've died, and I read this in the context of evangelism. Let's suppose that we got an evangelistic series of meetings going and one of our relatives dies. And we're, we got Bible studies that we're conducting. And, uh, you know, it, Jesus would say the same thing same thing to that person. You don't have to be at that funeral. It's more important that you take care of these Bible studies and make sure that they have the light that they need when they need it. Now, I believe this is the kind of dedication that Nehemiah had and that he was able to inspire the whole group of people to have that kind of dedication and that's the reason they finished the work. So the question that comes to us, I believe, from this lesson, is are you willing for Jesus to give you that kind of dedication so that you can be a part of the finishing?